Hi, this is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. Today, on episode number four, I'm excited to have Christian Hagenlocker as my guest. Christian's well-known in the birding community for his 2016 ABA Big Year, also for the Birding Project, and soon for a book coming out in May. I'm excited to have you here today. Christian, welcome. Thanks, Ed. It's great to be here with you today. It's really good. Christian, I'd like to start out by giving my guests just a few minutes to tell their birding story. Everybody got their start somewhere in birding, and, and how did you get going? And, and give me a brief rundown of what's happened between then and now. Sure. Well, my birding story is kind of multifaceted, and it starts with both my grandmothers at a very young age. Both of them had influences on me in their own unique ways. My cool. grandmother on the East Coast, my dad's mom, had a bird feeder in her yard in Vermont, and so I grew up watching cardinals and blue jays coming to her bird feeder, and cool. I was just really amazed. Did you visit there? Were you living there? I was living there at the time. Oh, in Vermont. Yes. Okay. Yep. My grandmother, who lived in near Seattle, Washington, she was another influence on me, and she had peregrine falcons nesting on oh. the building that she worked in, the That's Washington Mutual Tower. It's a great bird. And so I'd come and visit her at work and try and find the falcons sitting on her building. Urban, urban canyons. Stuart and Bell. Yes. Like nesting peregrine yeah, They have the the video cam there, I think. They do, yes. Yeah. You could watch them in the lobby. Cool, cool. And uh, so so you had uh, some early experiences with your grandparents. How did you, did you have mentors or how did you get going? I did have mentors growing up. It was really neat. My, my interest in birding really evolved and grew as I grew up. And I never started using binoculars to see birds until high school. That's my son. He says, I don't need those binoculars. Dad, I can see him great. That was me. My main interest from being exposed to falcons at an early age were raptors, which you don't sure. need binoculars to notice a red-tailed hawk on a telephone pole as you pass sure. by. So I was really interested in raptors until high school when one of my mentors, who was the athletic director at my school, cool. he introduced me to high-quality German optics. And from then on, I was hooked. So had Zeiss. So warblers, I did have Zeiss. Oh, wow. So warblers, uh, vireos, tanagers, all of those Oh, boy, the beautiful, colorful birds on the east. They were. Yeah, good. And then then you went to college. Mm -hmm. And uh, when did you get uh, hooked and really into it? You got this, the birding project thing going and all of that. Right. So I was hooked early on in high school and kind of became more competitive with birding, really trying to, to spend my days seeking out birds I'd never seen before. So eBird then? eBird. Was, eBird then. That was around the beginning of eBird. That was the it? beginning of eBird. So yeah. I was an early user. and it's when everybody kept score. Right. And so I used eBird as a tool to search out rare birds and sure. would often go on, on chases around the the Midwest looking for birds that so I had So you were in the Midwest seen. by then? I was. Okay. My my story jumps around through all of the major migratory flyways. <laughs> Very nice. So I was living in St. Louis and chasing birds on afternoons and weekends in high school. And that's really when the interest took hold and developed. I read the book, The Big Year, and realized that competitive birding was a thing. Oh, yeah. And although it wasn't my thing at the time, I was I was mostly using the competitive aspect of it to fill in those holes on my life list to see right. new birds. That's really what interested me. Sure. And uh, when did uh, when did the whole idea of a big year that you did in 2016? How did that happen? Well, that that whole idea really evolved in 2016. It kind of spur of the moment thing. It was a spur of the moment thing, following in the the footsteps that was of the accidental big year exactly. the year before. Yeah, yeah, Neil Hayward, and so I followed his journey and knew what big years were. I knew the basic strategy. You know and, what you're getting into, and I knew what I was getting into. Um, a lot of challenges 
came up and I was, I was wrapping up a, a film project with a producer. We were making a film for PBS about greater prairie chickens. Oh yeah. I saw that on your website. And telling the story of the American tallgrass prairie. So the, the funding goals had been reached for that project. Most of it had been filmed and we were in post-production mm-hmm. and I was living in Montana and working with him on that project. And he gave me some money and said, why don't you start filming some rare birds to add to our film library? Very nice. And so I started traveling in January, filming rare birds for him. And, uh, some of the funding fell through and I found myself cut off from <laughs> that project. And, and that was about when in 2016? That was about the second week of January. Okay, so you have most of the year left, and yes. you've already seen some rarities. I'd seen some rarities. I'd photographed some rarities and filmed some rarities for him, and I kept going for the month of January, relying on my savings, and I ended up seeing over 360 birds in the month of January. Wow. And that was a, a very good start. I realized yeah, I was ahead of the <clears throat> pace of most you, yeah, past you're, big you're, years. You're uh, rocking it by then. Yeah. yeah, cool. So you spent your time in the South to begin with mostly? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I'm assuming. I started here in Seattle uh, January 1st and crossed the ferry to British Columbia mm-hmm. and then drove down the coast, uh, down I-5 all the way down to San Diego, okay. and then crossed the Crossed through Arizona, Texas, all the way to Florida. She swept up the wintering southern birds. I got and some all the of wintering the, some southern of the, birds. The Mexican birds that snuck across, probably. Exactly. So yeah. I, I kind of strategically hit some of the rare birds first. What were some of your early highlights? Oh, the early highlights. Well, day one, the first bird of my big year was a barn owl flying across the road. And it's a good start. And an owl, any species of owl, is a good start. Yeah. So yeah. that I was followed, a I followed Dorian Anderson on his biking big year, yes. maybe a year or two before that. Yes. And uh, his start with a with a snowy owl in, in January 1st on his bicycle at 6 a.m. It was it's a great, great, great start. Yeah. yeah. So I chased rarity. So I ended up seeing, um, let's see, it was, the, it was a thrush um, in British Columbia, Red Wing. Oh, yeah. An Asian thrush. We had that in Olympia several oh, years neat. ago. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a great bird. It is cool. So I, I saw that and then made my way down through California and ended up seeing the brown boobies off the coast of San Diego mm-hmm. and then across Arizona where I got the um, flame-colored tanager. Yeah, that's and a good one. the Sinaloa wren and uh, some thrushes, some rare thrushes. Yeah. And so clay-colored thrush in Texas and just kind of worked my way across the Southern United yeah. States. Very cool. And then around then you decided to do the big year. Then I ran out of money. And yeah. so I, I really was going for a big month and <laughs> spending every dollar I had trying to, to maximize the birds and minimize the expenses. Sure. So I slept out of the back of my Subaru. I ate at McDonald's and uh, largely was self-supported that first month and realized I needed a job. So at the end of the month, I got a job washing dishes and I lived on an island and was a kitchen assistant. So I washed dishes, I served food. Sure. Um, and so I was in the hospitality industry for the month of February. Uh-huh. And I did that off the coast of Southern Georgia. So I was close. Worst places? <laughs> I was close to any rarities that showed up in Florida. And that was the strategy it was on mm-hmm. my days off. I could chase right. rare birds right. and that paid off. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. And then uh, take me through the year, sort of in a nutshell. In a nutshell. So from there, I I crossed the country several times across the southern United States in March and April and hitting spring migration, getting the spring chickens in the Mountain West, rosy finches, owls up in frozen Colorado and Wyoming at the time. 
Then I kept on hitting spring migration pretty hard across the southern United States. I ended up um, driving back to to California and burning my way through California up to Washington on that repositioning cruise. Where, right, where right. We I met. remember that. Yes. I visited the biggest week in American birding, mm-hmm. cleaning up those spring migrants, and then I headed to Alaska. And I was fortunate enough to get on a pelagic trip on the way to Attu oh, cool. and spend almost three weeks in Alaska looking for uh, yeah. rare birds. The dream I've always had and have yet to pull off. I need to pull a trigger on that. You should. There's spots still left on this year's I've Attu trip. I've heard there trip. are. I've heard there are. Shameless plug. <laughs> are you going to be on that? We're, we'll see. We can talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you, you kind of hit the, the vagrants in the islands of Alaska, and I think you went to Nome and, and the Anchorage and the usual yes. uh, more common spots Yes, Alaska. and then I spent the summer kind of cleaning up birds that I missed. And my goal, believe it or not, was just to see 700 species. Well, so, well, you know, 700, I mean, when I grew up in birding over the last year, 700 was a big number. And uh, it still is. It, it still is a good number. Yeah. But, you know, with, with some of the splits and the eBird, which just makes it so convenient to hear about things. You don't need to be on a telephone hotline like you used to have to or anything. Exactly. So Technology has definitely find, changed You, you, you the can field. hear about them within hours and right. get to them if you really want to be a lister. Right. And so I spent the summer months cleaning up. I drove across the country from Seattle to Maine and ended up working at uh, Audubon Camp, Hog Island Audubon. Oh, yes. Which is just a very special place, rich in history. Yeah. Roger Tory Peterson, Ken Kaufman, Scott Widensall, all of them. Our have. local Audubon has sent uh, youth to that occasionally. That's it's money well spent. It is a great thing. Yeah. So that's a wonderful opportunity. I was privileged to be invited there and spend some time there and see my, my year Atlantic Puffin yes. and Razorbill with young Rosie, teenage birds. Roseate Turn. Roseate Turns. Probably Northern Gannet and a yes. few others. Yes. So beautiful spot. Yeah. And I got Bicknell's Thrush when I was in New England, which was a, a life bird despite yeah. growing up in Vermont. I just got that a couple of years ago. I grew up in Maine. It's yeah. a spectacular bird. It's cool. So summer months, I kind of spent cleaning up. I did another Alaska trip to Nome to get the breeding birds. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, spent the fall on the island of Gamble, just off the coast of Nome, St. Lawrence Island. Okay. I said it was an island. Gamble's the town that I birded in right. on St. Lawrence Island. Right. And uh, then kind of played catch up and hit some of the fall and winter birds, chickens and owls, and, mm-hmm. and then spent... Uh, the end of the month, December, chasing a couple more rarities and searching for dove key off the coast of Cape Cod. Yeah. Do you have that yet? I did see a dove key. I didn't count it. It was difficult, difficult Hard. choice, but not, not quite the view I want to be yeah. sure that, yeah. that that's what it was. That's but still one of my target birds. I have not. Uh, I'd like better looks and, and I know they're out there, but some years they're in great numbers. And sadly, yeah. 2016 was not one of those yeah. years. I, the, the years I've visited Maine in the winter have not been the right years. Yeah. I grew up in Maine, so oh, okay. that, that's why I mentioned I, my family's back there. I go back quite a lot in the summer. It's so hard traveling in the winter. I try not to, sure. <laughs> try not to get stuck in the Chicago airport or I know what Maine in winter's like. I was born there. Oh, really? Yeah. Where? In Brunswick. Brunswick. I went to school at Bowdoin. Oh, okay. I went to Bowdoin College, and uh, it was my undergrad school. Very so neat. I know the area pretty well. That's great. still have friends there. Cool. Cool. So you finished up your big year. What was your number? I saw officially 752 species. That is ridiculously cool. That is ridiculously cool. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, I, uh, what did I, I, I read a 
No, I, I heard a podcast. I heard Laura Keene. Yes. Was she the photographer who did the photographic big year? Yes, she was. And she she was on a podcast with, I think, the Birders Digest podcast, Amer- This American Birding or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, she uh, th- spoke highly of you as a, as a uh, you know, incredibly talented, ambitious, crazy birder who uh, <laughs> had to work part of your way through the year while the rest of them uh, relied on more reliable funding. <laughs> sure. Laura is an extremely talented photographer and, yes. and a very close friend of mine. Yeah. Cool. Unlike cool. the, the big ear narrative that's shown in Hollywood of, right. of big ear birders being Bitter competition. at each other's yeah. throat, but yeah. at the same time, some Helping. being friends. 2016 was definitely a very dramatic year with, for the first time in history, four big yes, ear birders yeah. all going for the record in a serious attempt. And, and two of you, yourself and Olaf, being fairly public about it with a with yes. a with a blog and the the Australian fellow I'm blanking on John his, John mm-hmm. uh, it was a little harder to follow. He didn't eBird regularly or right. hardly at all, and so it's a little. You you saw his numbers here and there, but they were harder to follow. And then Laura was just did it, and I didn't hear much about it at the time. Right. I think that landscape of how big ear birders are are sharing their year with others is is changing, and I'm I'm pleased to have started off with the goal to share my big year and to be working throughout the year at connecting people with birds. That was part yeah. of my epic mission of the birding project. Right. So t- tell us well, tell us more about the birding project and sure. epic. I I, I kind of get the the e the i and the c the p. I don't quite understand. I mean how how you're inter, you know how that's working for you. Sure. And so the, the birding project I started at the end of January and during the month of February on my big year as an outreach arm of doing a big year. Most big years usually revolved around the personality of the birders. Right. You think about record-breaking big years, you have a, a name, historically a male, uh, a white older male attached to, exactly. to the big year, which seems to be, in a lot of people's minds, the only demographic for big year birders, but that can't be further from the truth. And so I really tried to have my big year, instead of it revolving around me, revolving around the the ideas that I was trying to incorporate into um, the big year. And so I came up with an acronym, EPIC, for my big year. The E is to engage people with birds, promoting learning. Mm -hmm. You did a good job of that. Thank you. Uh, The P was to preserve bird habitat in urban and rural areas. And I saw that. Is that a longer term goal or how how is that working? Definitely. Bird habitat preservation isn't something that you can really just, you know, go out one day and check the box at the end of the day and say, yep, we did that. So throughout the year, part of the, the engaging people and educating people helps to preserve that habitat. Sure. There were many opportunities I had to work uh, with different stewards of the land and different conservation organizations to actually help them do habitat restoration. I helped reseed a prairie with native prairie plants in urban Illinois, just outside the the suburbs of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that's where I saw bobolinks and other birds. And so I tried to specifically go to places that I knew I could make a difference. Very cool. Very cool. And then the I and the C? So the I stands for inspire. And, and birds are naturally inspiring to me and uplifting my thought. And I dealt with a lot of challenges throughout the year and focusing on birds helped teach me life lessons. And so I thought that my actions, how I approached doing a big year, um, the attitude that I had and the work that I was doing, I was hoping would be an inspiration for others. Very cool. Very cool. We'll get to your book here in a little bit, but hopefully that will be part, one more part of your inspiration. It's definitely ongoing. 
Good. And the C is? Connect birds and habitat. Or, I'm sorry, connect bird, people bird. and birds using technology yeah. responsibly. I get that, the technology responsible. Tell us the technology responsible part of that, sure. responsibly part well, of that uh, phrase. Sure. Well, we've discussed a little bit of the impacts of eBird and how technology is really changing the birding landscape and mm-hmm. changing what doing a big year looks like. Right. With information at our fingertips, it's easy to chase after birds or to know where birds are. So that element of mystery is now out of the equation. But with technology at everyone's fingertips comes an ethical responsibility to use that technology in a way that doesn't hurt birds or doesn't impact them negatively. So responsible use of playback, of trying to attract birds or or um, get a bird to come out or show itself right. at a rare bird stakeout. I, I, I watched your baiting owls video. Oh, oh, sure. oh disgusting. God, Unfortunately, awful. baiting owls is still a practice that uh, many photographers are are doing right now. It's it's, it's it, February. It was shocking. Check it out on on uh, the Birding Project. Uh, I don't remember the date of that uh, video, but I bet if you is, I posted is there, it during February. Is there a search bar season. on your site? I'm not sure, but anyway, I just looked at it. And I said, "Baiting owls? How do you bait an owl?" It, so, it's oh. a mo- it's a recent blog post, relatively speaking, under the blog section, so you can find it there. Yeah, wow, was, you should check it out. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty cool to see, pretty awful to see too. There are some neat, neat photos attached to that blog. And I reached out to a community of photographers to say, I'd, I'd like to solicit photos that you would like to share that have been taken of owls responsibly. So all of the pictures of oh. great gray owls um, and other species in that blog post are all from other photographers. They're not my own Who works, don't do that kind of job. Who don't do that. And so I, I'm Very hoping cool. that through that blog post, you can see you don't need to to treat sure. owls in an unethical way to get the shot. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, so uh, your website, uh, thebirdingproject.com, easy to check out. I'll put a link in the podcast notes. Uh, but uh, since then, you've moved on. It's been the, to, so all of 2007, that was 2016, 17, and 18, and mm-hmm. a little bit of 19. So two and a little bit years since then. What's happened? So I returned to teaching after the birding project and my big year and uh, with little maintenance to the website. Right now I'm working on overhauling the website and and adding some new features and um, creating a a store space. But since then I've been teaching at a a high school, an alternative high school in the mountains of Colorado. It's a residential school and so there's 12 students or 13 students right now that that live there on campus. And the focus is um, character development and challenging uh, activities other than academics. So wow. we rock climb, snow ski, uh, whitewater kayak. Uh, we do a lot of really you pretty know, cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. It doesn't feel like work most days. Yeah. And so it's been a privilege to be there and to be um, to be working with high Very school cool. age How students. did you even hear about that? Did you get a break? How did you get a job like that? That sounds like a pretty cool job. <laughs> It is very cool. I had a mentor growing up who actually founded the school. Oh, okay. And so there was a personal connection there. Not what you know, but who you know. That always helps. Exactly. And and so I ended up um, returning to that school for a week during my big year in March and took a week off of birding spring migration to to help teach students about birds. They were doing an ornithology unit. Mm -hmm. And so I I helped them. We went on an expedition to the, the canyon country in New Mexico, okay. and ended up um, 
you know, learning about ancestral Puebloans and the importance that birds played in that culture. And it was a, a very neat trip and time very well spent. And also it was nice to have a paycheck for a week of work. Yeah, that always helps too. Yeah. That always helps too, especially when you're living frugally, as it sounds like you were on your big year. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've written a book. Tell us about that. I, 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 that was probably part of the plan, at least in the back of your mind as you were doing the year. Definitely. And, and not only <clears throat> in the back of my mind, it was in the front of my mind as I was doing a big year. I really lived day to day. And so it was conscious... I was conscious the whole time of the fact that I was writing my story and that helped keep me engaged. It helped keep me moving forward because I realized that, that this was my story and I was living it and I had full control over it. If I got discouraged and gave up and sat in one spot for a week, that was on you. It was on me and that was my story. And so I, I wrote each day and actually wrote a lot of so My some book. of it is, you know, uh, real time writing almost. Yes. Yes, and I've had to to edit it and change it of now course. to to past tense and, sure. and make everything in agreement, telling the story now right. three years later. Right. Um, but I wrote a lot of it on the road, on my phone. Um, <laughs> speaking of technology, talking to Siri, talking. Not just to Siri, but to voice memos. I I recorded my story as I was driving and a lot of that, um, as I've tried to listen and, and take things out of that, um, the road noise actually overrides a lot of what I was saying. I'm sure. And so it's been fun to fill in those gaps and go back through photos and videos and the blog posts that I wrote on the road during the year and construct, um, most of my story. I remembered that uh, as I followed you during your big year, part of your aim for the year was to uh, interview or meet and talk with, if not interview, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, people, birders and other people. Is that part of your book, is uh, talking about some of those things? Or? That's, that's a great question. I referred to some of the things that other birders said or taught me as I was doing these interviews, uh, realizing these underlying truths to what attract people to birds or what captivate us or what birds have to teach us. I began to hear themes the more I talked to people sure. and realized that those weren't just true for them, but they were also true for me Almost as well. universal truths. Yeah. yeah. And so I share some of those universal truths that echoed out of many voices. But um, a lot of those those interviews I actually recorded on my iPhone and have those those interviews. And, oh, very cool. And I, that's still part of the birding project that has yet to unfold. I'd like to do mm-hmm. a book just of those interviews or um, some sort of podcast or yeah. Or digital story with all of these different voices. I also photographed portraits of hundreds of birders and took photos of their hands holding their binoculars, which are as unique I, I remember and individual seeing some of those, as the stories some of those that come. on your blog posts yeah. as, it, as the year went through. Right. That content wasn't engaging to the people that were really following my story. And so I transitioned out of interviewing birders and posting those um, daily or weekly to less seldom as I realized people didn't care about other people's stories. They, they wanted, wanted to hear, hear your story. Mine. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, your big year. Yeah, yeah. So, so now those people have, um, or they will have a book that, that chronicles my story and my story is woven in with the other big ear birders, but I've tried to avoid going into, you know, the, the drama and, and the, the different things that are part of the, the other bigger birders story. So my book, for those of you that are wanting the, the juicy details on, on Olaf and John's rivalry, my book isn't the place for that. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a little of the 
not so fun to read about part of that whole year for me. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because some birders love that and I get asked questions about them pretty often and, and I don't speak in detail of that very often because that's not my story or part yeah. of my year. And so I, I th- John is doing another big year now, isn't he? He is. Yes. I, I just, from looking at the e-bird, I'm just, my goodness, he's knocking off birds. So this guy is just crazy. He's, he's crazy in a good way. He's yeah, crazy about I, I don't birds. Know him, but I and, mean, and just, he, he loves, he loves North American birds. He's uh, lived in Australia for a long time. He did the biggest big year ever in Australia. Yes. And then the biggest big year ever in the ABA, yes. continental ABA area. And now he's at it again in, in five or six years time frame. So right. holy and I, th- I think John doing a second ABA big year says something a little bit about big years. Um, the first time he did it, he had a, an amazing count and uh, a lot of scrutiny on, on some birds that he saw or the way that he did it. And so the fact that he's doing it again, I really admire because he's taking a more deliberate approach um, being very transparent in his experiences. He's sharing amazing stories of the birds that he's seeing, the people that does he's Does he have meeting. a blog or something? He does. I, I, I have not followed this year. He does. And uh, I can't, I don't want to say what I think it is and have it be wrong. So why don't we just put that in your blog notes? I'll get that to you. Okay. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll find that link yeah. and put it. It's easy. I can't be hard to find. But I think that, that it, it says something towards his his approach because he's he's doing it right this year not that he did it wrong the first time but he's taking he's being very meticulous he's he's taking a purposeful approach and including others and so i'm really looking forward to seeing him enjoy this year yeah good for with him. all of the rewards that come from doing it that way yeah yeah he was he was sort of in the background a little bit that year especially with olaf being so you know, writing these gigantic blog posts. I had to quit partway through the year. They were so long, I couldn't read them. Uh, but it was fun to read. I mean, he's a funny guy. And yeah. Anyway, uh, so going forward, you've got a book that's going to come out. I think you told me it's going to come out at the biggest week in birding at, uh, at McGee Marsh in May. It will. Uh, and I've, I've actually created uh, a link on my website yesterday okay. to... Um, to do a pre-sale. So if you're interested okay. in reserving your copy, I think I'm going to do a limited run of a hundred books. Okay. And well, I will make sure I sign up for that right after I record this podcast today, Christian. That sounds good. And so <laughs> this, this is the first time I'm announcing my book's title publicly. So you are, are privileged to, to hear the title. And it is, drum roll. It is Falcon Freeway. Falcon Freeway, reminiscent of Kingbird Highway. Exactly. Probably not an accident. Exactly. And so for me... One of my favorite books ever, by the way, Ken Kaufman, Kingbird Highway. I think I've read it five times. It's just so cool. It's a beautiful story. It's told well. And the the thing is that he, he did a big year at the end of an era. And so his story is very unique and can't be duplicated or outdone. Right. Um, And so my attempt was not to, you know, outdo Ken Kaufman because that'll never happen. (laughs) That that would not be a good choice. But I took a similar approach. And so so it's a similar approach. Both young guys, both kind of doing a big year on a shoestring, both facing some financial challenges. I mean, not, not completely on that. There are, there are corollaries, correlations, whatever. And so I think the title reflects that a a similar story, but in the 21st century. So technology is a major difference. The fact that I owned a car and was eating something. Had a driver's license. Had a driver's license <laughs> and eating something a few notches above cat food. Yes. Yeah. Um, was my 
was my story. Yeah, so. very cool. So what's ne- what's next? What do you what do you foresee? How how you've got a career started in the birding industry, so to speak. What's uh, what's up? So I'm I'm right now focused on getting my book out and plan to continue uh, marketing my book and and doing talks around the country. I've been invited to speak at a couple different festivals or events, and so I'm going to pursue those leads Good. and hopefully travel around the country on a, a book tour, or maybe you could call it a bird tour, yeah. and 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 really you know share my story with the birding community, and I'll be doing some guiding both at the biggest week and then also professionally. So I saw that you're doing guiding in Colorado and beyond is what it says on your website. Yes. Yes. So, so the so epicenter if, if I wanted of my, to, if I wanted to hire you as a guide, how would I get a hold of you? How do I figure what, how, how does that happen? You could contact me through the birding project, which is very easy. Um, just click contact on the birding project okay. and that sends an email directly to my iPhone and I'll respond to you as soon as I can. If I'm in the field, there might be a delay, but I'm usually pretty prompt about replying to emails. I'll vouch for that. Uh, and uh, I, I have kind of a unique angle on being able to meet people and guide them other places other than Colorado. My dad uh, is a pilot for Alaska Airlines. Oh, wow. And so that comes with limited flight benefits. I can buy standby t- tickets a little bit cheaper and fly uh, and meet people in different destinations. So my experience birding around the country really comes There aren't in. that many hotspots you haven't seen, I'm guessing. There's very few. So there's still, still birds I'm learning. I don't know just seeing all of the birds doesn't necessarily make you an expert in nope, all the birds, but I'm still still learning some areas and no areas better than others. But Colorado has been my stomping ground since my well since before my big year. I've really grown up in the mountains of Colorado. So if you want a, ch- a good chicken trip or a good uh, rosy finch trip, you'd probably be a good guy to get a hold of. Or I can suggest someone if I'm not available who can give you a great experience. Cool, cool. So. Uh, so you've got a book coming up, you've, you're a guide, you're going to be a, a traveling speaker at bird festivals. That's a, a pretty good start to a birding career. And I have a, an idea that, oh. um, that is being worked on as, as we speak. I'm, I'm working on um, putting together a film about birders traveling to Attu. Oh, wow. And I've realized that many people, as I've That'd gone around great and, documentary. and spoken about um, my big year, people always ask me about Attu. And the price tag of such a trip usually puts going to Attu out of many people's yeah, grasp. Yeah, that's, that's kind of been, you know, I'm blessed to be okay financially, but still, that's a big hit. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm getting old and it seems like kind of a rough place to stay. It does. So, so my goal with making this documentary, this film about Attu, is to bring Attu to you. And the upcoming trip has two spaces left. And if I can raise the funds to, uh, to fill one of those spaces, making the trip viable, um, I don't think it'll go unless it's a full trip. Um, hopefully that'll, that'll help out the bigger birders such as John that are looking to go back. John Lehman or? John Weigel. Oh, John Weigel. Okay. So that's all right. So, um, so this idea is to crowdfund a documentary film about Attu and the birds and the birders that oh, are wow. crazy enough to go there or go back to go there. And so, so I, what's June? It's yeah, the end of May and, and early end June. Of May first of June. Okay. So I'm going to launch that crowdfunding uh, campaign within the next week on Kickstarter. Very and cool. And there's different levels of perks for different levels of contributions uh, that range from uh, getting a postcard from Attu. 
to receiving a digital download of the film once it's finally produced to mm-hmm. DVD of the film to a private screening of the film. So cool. Audubon societies or organizations that would like me to come and speak about Atu and do a slideshow sure. and show the film. Um, if they contribute to that and it becomes a reality, I'll be doing that. That sounds like a doable thing. Crowdsourcing is a, a great uh, tool for lots of projects and a, and with your you know social media experience, you'll knock it dead. Good we'll, for you. We'll see. Thank you. Good for, but you need two more people. Anyone out there want to go to Atu? <laughs> Sign up. That's right. I think it's uh, you can Google Atu and Z Birding Tours. It's a local Seattle-based tour company that is the only tour operator taking trips right. to Atu. Now, are, is it is it a cruise now? Or are they still living in the old concrete bunkers? I've I've heard different ways that's happening. Now. I would compare it to a, a pelagic trip, um, except the the boat I believe is seventy-two feet and mm-hmm. it has several different quarters, several different bunkers. So you'd be sleeping on the boat. So you sleep on the boat, and, and then and you take an inflatable Zodiac onto the island okay. every that, day. That's that's what I suspected. Bird okay. all day, return to the ship for going to be a week tour, two-week tour? I think it's uh, just over two weeks because it takes four yeah, days yeah, alone a, to get to a haul to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I get a little seasick. I don't, I don't know if I could handle that. <laughs> the the Bering Sea can be your friend or, or be your worst nightmare. So it just sure. depends on the mood I'm of sure. the water. Sounds pretty cool, though. Sounds pretty cool. So I, I like to uh, wrap up by asking, uh, do you have any advice for young birders, roll birders, or any birders? Oh, man, that's that's a great question. I, I always have advice, and some of it comes from me, <laughs> and some of it comes from other people. Good. But what I can think of now is uh, really reach out and, and be part of your birding community. And the, there's a community out there. It's easy as a young birder to feel like you're the only person that likes birds or birding who's your age. Yeah. Um, and, and that couldn't be far from the truth. It, it just might be not true in your immediate vision. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was the only person who liked birds my age growing up. But once I realized that there were hundreds of mm-hmm. kids like me scattered all over the country, yeah. we were all brought together by young birder camps. Yeah. And so my second piece of advice is if you're a young birder, or even if you're an adult birder that's looking to network and meet like-minded people, mm-hmm. there's a variety of birding camps, both put on by the American Birding Association uh, and also by the National Audubon Society. So mm-hmm. we spoke of Hog Island earlier. Hog Island offers both youth and adult programs. I'll be a counselor at a youth program this summer at a birding camp Very cool. for teens called From Mountains to Sea. And so we'll bird from all the way up in the tops of Maine's mountains all the way down to Hog Island and, and get maybe 150 or 200 species of birds. So if you're Very a teen cool. birder, um, I believe space is limited. It might even be full for the summer, but... What was um, that called again? It's called the Mountains to Sea Birding Teen Birding Camp. Cool, cool. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm going to interject a little of my own uh, story. Uh, oh, gosh. My wife and I were both birders, and uh, my wife who had an advertising agency, and her photographer, Dane Meyer, lives nearby here. And he, he uh, one time he came to Ken and he said, my little girl, my daughter, Annie Meyer... It is is she? I think she's going to be a birder. She's like ten years old, and, and, but she is painfully shy. And she just. Do you think you could just maybe you could take Annie and me out birding someday? So I had a 
uh, van, this minivan, and we popped him in the minivan and went birding for a day. And Annie was like crazy good. I mean, she just knew. <laughs> and she had never talked. To, she didn't think there was another birder on the planet, I think. And she had said maybe six words all day, except I identify birds that I couldn't see and things like that. <laughs> That's great. And so... Uh, so we, you know, tried to encourage her that you know there's a birding community. You should meet, you know, that you should really like Charlie Wright. He's like 13 and homeschooled birder who's just ridiculously good birder in Washington. Tried to introduce her to this birding community, and and uh, she became this fabulous top. I, I take zero credit. She uh, she met Bruce Labar and Charlie Wright and the Bur- Tacoma birding community, and became you know the uh, most sought after. Uh, she was really cute, and the most sought-after birding companion, I think, by all the young male birders in the in the state. And uh, went to Humboldt and, and got her degree in ornithology, and oh, is now uh, in Central America somewhere doing great research and fabulous things. But you know, it takes a takes a village, and you know, there's a village of birders out there, and you right. just have to meet them sometimes. Right, and that community exists uh, largely online. Yes. Now and so the the Facebook discussion groups, the networking tools that are available sure. online, I'd say definitely look into those. Yeah, good, good. Well, anyway, thank you, uh, Christian, so much for coming to talk with me today. Uh, any parting words you'd like to leave? Oh, I, I told you I'd give you a chance to read from your book, and I'd love people would love to hear that. Why don't sure. you do that for us? Well, we talked about Atu, and so I I selected a an excerpt from the Journey to Atu, and so I'll I'll read that for you. With the eerie, vacant neighborhoods of Adak behind us, the mood hadn't changed much as we steamed through the thick mists of the Bering Sea under the fading midnight light. The Pukuk muscled through the icy chop, riding the liquid mountains up and down. Each slate-covered wave, broken by the broad bow of the 60-foot vessel, generated a booming blow, adding a concerning percussion line to the soundtrack of the engine at full throttle. Preventative seasickness medicine was passed around like candy, Each person eagerly swallowed some sort of pill or ginger product and then disappeared into their respective stateroom for the night. Left to my own decisions, I headed to my bunk and curled up under the warm flannel duvet and drifted off into a peaceful rest. The following morning, the crashing waves against the boat's bow woke me from a deep sleep. I lost my balance as I dropped off the top bunk, forgetting that the ground wasn't always in the same place on a boat. I carefully worked on standing up and walking around the ship a bit on my new sea legs. I eagerly ate a big breakfast, which was surprisingly gourmet for being prepared on a boat. Nicole, our chef for the trip, was busily cooking bacon and was taking egg orders as birders awoke and emerged from their pill-induced slumbers. Some people didn't get up at all, and I didn't see them for several days. Whale, off our starboard side, hundreds of yards away, I spotted a dark shape breaking the surface of the water. Swarms of birders added to the grandeur of the sight. I'm sorry, swarms of birds added to the grandeur of the sight. At a distance, the whales seemed to linger on the surface a little too long. Why wasn't it diving? As we steamed closer and our views improved, the Leviathan morphed into a recently deceased floating island of blubber. Hundreds of full of fulmars were perched on and around the carcass, and a cloud of birds evaporated as the boat approached. It was a sperm whale, a large, blocky-shaped beast drunkenly tipped on one side, a floating island of food for ravenous seabirds. We stuck around long enough to take a few shots, and then the smell kicked in. We resumed our forward march towards the distant wall of fog. 
Very cool. And you you could you got another gig as a as a reader. You've got a fabulous voice. Thank oh you. my goodness, I've got the squeaky old man's voice, and you are you've got a booming, beautiful voice. Cool. Thank you. We'll see if uh, an audiobook comes comes <laughs> I, I into think, play I later. I think it in could come year. into play. Yeah. Yes, I think that's a good idea. It's well, a good idea. If you want to record it, come on over. I you thank could, you. I'll make sure I leave links to your social media accounts in the podcast notes below, but just tell us a few of those. Instagram, The Birding Project, Twitter, <clears throat> at Birding Project. Way cool. Way so, cool. That wraps up episode number four of the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. Thanks to Christian Hagenlocker as our guest today. You'll find below in the podcast notes links to many of the things we talked about today. In addition, be sure to subscribe to the Bird Banter Podcast on the iTunes Store, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast feeds. Make sure you leave comments, give me a rating, that helps, and you can find me on social media feeds. They'll be listed below. Thanks again for listening to the Bird Banner Podcast. Good day. Good birding.